The following message is made available for you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more information, visit us online at www.emmanuelmora.com. One of the best experiences that I ever had with my college roommate was when we engaged in battle in the woods somewhere in the Norwood, Young America uh, area. Now, as far as I'm aware, there's never been a military engagement in uh, the territory of Minnesota. But on that hot day in uh, the summer of 2007, my friend and I, along with uh, a lot of other guys, spent the day celebrating his upcoming wedding by putting on camo and taking up sides and having a day full of paintball battles. Uh, There's probably few things that men like doing more than shooting each other with uh, air guns, shooting paintballs at each other, uh, so so much so that uh, you can get welts on your body if you're not properly padded. Uh, Throughout the day, we experimented with a couple different kinds of warfare, mostly guerrilla warfare, uh, where we hid out in the woods, whether it be in trees or behind bushes, uh, trying to to, uh, capture the other other home base while uh, while trying to protect ours and trying to advance on the other home base. And as we got closer to running out of ammo, Uh, we changed our warfare style to that of the American Revolution. We divided into two teams, and we had those two teams line up about, I don't know, 50 or so yards from each other, and we took uh, turns as teams, just picking up our rifles and blasting each other. Uh, If you got shot while you were on that line, you were out. And after every turn, the teams got a little bit closer to each other. So you can imagine that by the end, if you were the only guy left and there was 10 guys on your other team, guess what? You're going to be blasted by at least 10 uh, paintballs coming at you at a high rate of, uh, of speed. Uh, you know, engaging in that kind of battle is, oh, it's so much fun. Um, <laughs> However, um, now that I'm a little bit older and a lot more out of shape, I still would go into those woods. Today, if someone said to me after church, guess what, Pastor, we're getting some people together that uh, we're going to go out in the woods and we're going to have a paintball war, uh, I'd say, sorry, honey, you're on your own today. I'm going out into the woods. Um, And so uh, that's just so much fun. However... I know that there are a few of us in this room that have engaged in some warfare that is not so fun. Uh, Some of the things that you've been through and some of the things that you've seen, I, I mean, I can't even imagine what that would be like. And I can also bet that there's more of us here today that have never uh, been in a battle before, whether it be a game or whether it be military engagement. But if you are in Christ Jesus, you are called to arms. If you are in Christ Jesus, there isn't an option. You are in the battle. It might uh, be one that you cannot see, but it is far more reaching, and it is far more deadly than anything the world has ever seen. And thankfully, God has created a battle plan and has already guaranteed victory. It is called the gospel 
The gospel is God's plan for both offense and defense. And it is this gospel that you and I must take on. Now, Paul here has written to Timothy, uh, who was sent to the church at Ephesus in order to facilitate order within that church. The church had been infiltrated by enemies, not from the outside, but rather from the inside, who were teaching things contrary to the gospel. Instead of teaching things that, that bring life and bring uh, fulfillment to people's lives, they were rather teaching things that, le- that lead to death. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul has written to a discouraged Timothy in order to encourage him and instruct him on what he must do in order to restore order. And in our text today, uh, he is completing his encouragement to deal with this most pressing problem, which is this false teaching within the church. And through our text, Paul is going to encourage you and he's going to encourage me as well as we fight for the truth of the gospel against imposters. So let's, um, let's look at three things that Paul has for us today. And the first, we need to fight for the gospel. We need to fight for the gospel. In my office right now, there is a framed piece of paper um, that uh, is dated November 7th, 2010. The date, however, is, is, is fairly insignificant. It is of value to me because there are signatures of 10 men on this paper. It's not a diploma. I do have one of those on my wall. It's a certificate of ordination. And what ordination is and what it does sort of varies from denomination to denomination. Uh, In the Southern Baptist Convention, of which I was trained and uh, was in a church at one point, we're a Baptist General Conference church, Uh, but I was trained Southern Baptist. Ordination is a stamp of approval from a church saying, we believe that this man has been set apart by God for gospel ministry, and we commission him to do that work. And so I was ordained one week before we moved to Nebraska, before I pastored a church uh, for almost four years. And ordination in and of itself uh, doesn't do much practically. It, it doesn't hold weight legally. It, it doesn't bump you up on the, the salary schedule. Um, It does something very personal, though. Ministry can be very tough. Not only do you feel the the weight of ministering to needs and issues in people's lives, but you also need need to be able to navigate complex leadership issues. Pastors need to be able to not only handle the word, but they also need to have uh, personal skills. They need to have conflict resolution skills, abilities in organizational leadership, uh, casting vision, counseling, all sorts of different things. Pastors need to have a thick skin along with tender hearts when they receive unfair criticism. They are engaged in spiritual battles that others aren't. I realize that my job is tough just like everybody else's, and ministry is no exception. And there have been a lot of times in which I've been weighed down 
by the demands and the struggles that come uh, from ministry. I've been hurt and confused and exhausted. And time and time again, it hasn't been rest that has gotten me through. And yes, prayer and trusting in God and the work of the Holy Spirit are essentials. But when I look at that paper that was dated November 7th, 2010, and I see the 10 signatures of, of the men that signed it that day, I remember my purpose in ministry. That these men believed in me and what the Lord was going to do. And I can't tell you how, that, how many times that has encouraged me over the last 11 years. In 1 Timothy, Paul has sent Timothy now to a very difficult situation. Timothy is facing intense opposition, and he's ready to throw in the towel. And then in verse 18, Paul shows Timothy his ordination paper. It's not a certificate. It's a reminder of two things. First, that Paul has confidence in Timothy's work. Verse 18, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction. What encouragement Paul is giving here. Paul isn't saying, Timothy, buck up. When you went to seminary, you knew it was going to be tough. You need to put on that thick skin, get out there, and get her done. He's not saying that. Rather, Timothy is, uh, Paul is being gentle here. He, uh, he echoes his greeting in verse 2, which said, To Timothy, my true son, in the faith. In saying this, he is taking a, a fatherly approach to Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy, you're my spiritual son. I love you. I care for you. I pray for you. I'm with you in this battle. And that alone is enough for Timothy to say, okay, okay, I can go another day. I can go another week. I can go another month. Let's do this. But then there's a second reminder here as well that Paul gives him. He reminds Timothy of his ordination. Look again in verse 18. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you. Now, we, we really don't know what these prophecies were that were given in, in, in accordance with Timothy. It has something to do with a spiritual gift that Timothy had that was brought about and heightened at his ordination. And we see that in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes, Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given through prophecy, there's that word again, with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. And then if you jump into 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, it says, Therefore I remind you to rekindle, you know, put some more logs on that fire, the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. So these two things, Paul's encouragement as his father and Timothy's ordination, are meant to strengthen the weak legs of Timothy and propel him to do that which he is tasked with in the last part of verse 18, which is to put on the camel, take up arms, get in there, and fight for the gospel. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight. 
So Timothy is to go out there and he's to fight for the purity of the gospel. Timothy is to go out there and fight for the gospel rightly taught. He will receive battle scars. But he will receive them joyfully because God's people are being duped. Timothy must be prepared to lose friends. He must be prepared to lose reputation, health, even life for this gospel. And friends, we have that same calling. You and I are called to fight this fight of faith. And I realize this may come to, as a surprise to some of you. Because some of you are totally fine with getting up here on a, on a Sunday morning, uh, coming to church, and then getting on with life. You have no desire to really get into the field manual of battle, which is God's holy word. But little did you know that when you said to, yes to Christ, you weren't signing up for selective service. You were enrolling in the army. You were enlisting. And you are now engaged in a war on truth and goodness in your heart, in the church, and in the world. And yes, the battle is tough. It creates scars. There will be times of discouragement. There will be times in which you want to throw in the towel, have the bell be rung, and, and have this match be over. And you might not have a certificate of ordination on your wall, but you don't need 10 signatures on a paper, nor do you need to be reminded of a prophecy that was given to you by the laying on of hands. All you need is your brothers and sisters in Christ that are around you who will continually remind you of the gospel when life gets tough. Ones that will pray for you. Ones that will lift you up in your weakness. Ones who will even call you out. The ones who will train you up. The ones who will never let you go. Ones that again will remind you of the gospel, the good news of Jesus taking you from the, uh, from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. This gospel of which empowers you to live the Christian life here and today, uh, here and now. So we need to contend for the gospel and be encouraged. But Paul also shows us a manner by which we are to carry this out. And that's our second point, is that we need to take up the armor of the gospel or take up armor from the gospel would be more appropriate before we entered into the woods uh, for that epic splat ball adventure we had to make sure that we had all the correct equipment camo was well it was important obviously because you don't want to be seen in the woods right um, we had the the paintball guns the co2 cartridges and and paintballs Things that you can't go out uh, on the field without. And it was also important to have protection as well. We all wore face masks, and not the kind of face masks that you have to wear on the bus or over at Wellia. Ones that will protect a paintball coming at your face and slapping you in the eye. Very essential. Uh, there was one guy uh, that uh, uh, the mask only came up to about here, and he got blasted right on, the, right on the top of the head and ended up with this huge welt. And the problem was is that he was bald. 
and the wedding was like two days later. And so my friend's uncle, he comes to the wedding with just this massive welt on his forehead because he didn't have protection. He didn't wear a hat out there or anything like that. And it's interesting to note that in the Bible, there's really only a couple places that talk specifically about the gear needed for spiritual warfare. They're both written by the Apostle Paul. They're both written in an Ephesian context. Uh, The first comes... um, from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians in chapter 6, when he talks about putting on the armor of God. Uh, And the second is here in 1 Timothy, in which Timothy is tasked to uh, solve the problems or help lead lead health in the problems at, uh, at Ephesus. So then how does Paul instruct Timothy? And I guess us by extension. Uh, Look at verses 18 through 19. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction. In keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience. So those two things, faith and a good conscience, Paul considers part of the armor that we need to be protected from false teaching as well as go out into the world and fight for the gospel. Paul mentions these presumably because these are qualities that, the, um, that his opponents lacked. It's clear that these opponents have left the doctrine, uh, true doctrine, and its implications in their behavior. In verses 3 through 11 of this chapter, as well as in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, Paul references these opponents as having seared consciences. And a few weeks ago, we talked about that word seared is like a, like a branding iron. Like it seeps right into the skin. That's what their consciences were having. But to Timothy, Paul brings back the idea of what he previously stated back in verse 5 of chapter 1, in which faith and a good conscience are vital for love. But what does Paul mean in pairing these two together? Uh, Flip over to chapter 4 for just a moment of 1 Timothy. And in chapter 4, verse 16, notice what Paul writes here. Pay close attention to your life, and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. So, Paul is saying that there is a close relationship between what you believe and how you live. Your belief will dictate your lifestyle. And he's also saying then that integrity matters for everyone. Not just leaders in a church, but for lay people as well. It is crucial that we believe the truth of the gospel. And it's not just one and done, as if you you believed when you were 12 years old, and so because you made that decision when you're 12, you can just live any way that you want. Rather, faith in the Bible is a verb that points to the fact that there was one specific moment in time when faith was ignited, and it is a continually expanding and growing thing into eternity. 
It affects our behavior. And if it's not shown outwardly, it will show up in the secret sins of the mind or when no one else is around. That word conscience has two parts. Con meaning with, science meaning knowledge. Conscience then literally means with knowledge. And these opponents here um, had a compromised faith knowing full well that what they were doing and what they were believing was wrong from orthodox teaching. They had a bad conscience. That is not what we are to have. Paul says that we're to live in integrity, striving only to do that which is good and pleasing to God. We won't be perfect. There's grace and there's mercy available to us and forgiveness in Christ, but we are to engage in the good fight through what we believe and how we live. So take a quick inventory for a moment of 1 Timothy 4.16. We'll get to there here in the coming weeks and months. But how much attention are you paying to your life and your doctrine? Your life and your, te- your, your, life and your beliefs. What you are believing is how you are living. More importantly, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And third and finally, we need to heed the warning of the gospel. Heed the warnings of the gospel. Uh, it, it's hard to have a discussion uh, about fighting the good fight without talking about what happens uh, if you disengage or you give up or, get in, or, or give in. Look at me again starting in verse 18. Uh, fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience which some have rejected and shipwrecked the faith. So two things to keep in mind here. The first is that these people willingly left the truth of the gospel. It's something that they wanted nothing to do with anymore. And it's not as if they they got duped and somehow stumbled into heresy. They consciously made this decision. And I've seen this happen enough to know that people reject the gospel. When they reject the gospel, it is not something that happens overnight. It's usually a slow progression in which someone believed something subtle that's maybe not orthodox, and it turns into a slippery slope even if it's one degree off, can lead to destruction down the road. And the person wakes up one day and says, you know what? I don't believe this anymore. And I don't think I've believed this for a long time. Now, the writer of Hebrews has some very strong words towards this. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, notice what he says here. He says, We must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And then in chapter 6, he writes, 
For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because to their own harm they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. Now, this isn't saying that you can lose your salvation. But it certainly is a warning to not go there. And this is real, folks. I've had, uh, I had a conversation with someone in which they uh, expressed a, a belief in a doctrine that wasn't necessarily unorthodox or heretical. But when I talked to them about their logic, saying if you go down that road, the logic is going to lead you to places that you never thought you would go. And sure enough, five years later, that person has now fully affirmed things that years ago there's no way that they would have imagined. We have to be careful to know what we believe and where it takes us. Notice what Paul says the result is. The sh- uh, shipwrecking the faith. Many translations, it might say, have shipwrecked their faith, but the original Greek uh, doesn't make it that personal. Rather, it says, have shipwrecked the faith. And so the problem that... Uh, Paul is highlighting here is the phenomenon of people who are considering themselves Christians, but what they believe and how they are uh, believe uh, and how they're behaving looks nothing like Christianity. And having been in the church and professing faith at one point, uh, people have indeed made shipwreck of their own faith, but to a greater extent. They have shipwrecked the faith by leading innocent people astray and have made some in the outside world see Christianity as something that it's not. And unless Timothy can do something about this, it's going to end up like Gilligan's Island. Now, how did Gilligan's Island, do you remember how they got off the island? A tsunami came. They all fell asleep on a raft that they made and a tsunami came and wiped them off the island and they woke up the next morning. Am I right on this? They woke up the next morning and, hey, we're off the island. On their raft, drifting. And that's what can happen. A theological shipwreck can sweep you away into destruction. Surprise, none of you watched Gilligan's Island till the end. Come on, folks. And though... You know, the the professor actually prophesied that that hurricane or that tsunami was going to come. So they were prepared. And though Paul uh, had been careful up to this point of keeping personal names out of the light, in verse 20, two individuals are actually named. Probably because of the extent of the damage that they had done. Look what it says. Some have rejected and shipwrecked the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. By the way, how would you love to have your name and God's word for all eternity in this sort of context? Whom I have delivered to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. And Paul mentions Hymenaeus 
in 2 Timothy chapter 2 when he says this, Avoid irreverent and empty speech, which those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Oofta. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the faith, saying that the resurrection has already taken place. And here's the crux. And are ruining the faith of some. You want to believe something false, fine, go ahead and keep it to yourself. But don't take others with you. And second, Alexander. Uh, this Alexander, we're not sure what his deal was, but Paul mentions him in 2 Timothy chapter 4 as well when he says, Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself because he strongly opposed our words. So I don't know what was up with these guys, but that's a chilling indictment. Both of these men Paul dealt with now in our verse where he said that he delivered them to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. And so Paul exercises this thing called church discipline in which he's removed these people from the church membership and, uh, treat, and has the church treating them like unbelievers. This is found in Matthew 18. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The goal of this is for to... I don't like the word church discipline, and I say this in our Exploring Emmanuel. I like the, church rest, uh, I like the term church restoration more because the goal is to get these people to wake up and see their error and lovingly bring them back to the truth of the church. The goal in handing these two over to Satan is for them to repent and be welcomed back with open arms. It's a restorative process. It is for them to either be brought back to repentance and restoration or for them to be given over to their sins. It's a big step. And in rare cases, it's necessary to fight for the gospel and for the purity of the church and for the souls of the church as well as for the souls of the false teachers themselves. And we need to know that none of us are immune from the disease of Hymenaeus and Alexander, me included. We must do what Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 says. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching. Let's just not stay stagnant, but we have to grow. We have to keep moving forward. We've got to keep going. And I appreciate what Julie had said a few minutes ago here, that when you serve, you grow. Folks, we've got to grow. Stagnation is not an option. There's a lot at stake, and we must take up arms and heed the warning. You know, I would go back into those woods right now if I had the opportunity. And that's probably because it's fun, and there's very minimal risk. But as believers in Christ, we are in a battle that, is, that has far more at stake. 
Eternity itself hangs in the balance. And you and I must contend for the gospel. We must take up the armor and we must hear the warnings and stay within the battle plan. There's coming a day in which the war will be over. Victory is assured. But until then, we stand and we fight. Let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. You are welcome to pass this message along to others, but please don't charge for it or alter it in any way without written permission from Emmanuel Baptist Church. This message has been made available by the generous supporters of Emmanuel Baptist Church. For additional information about how you can partner with Emmanuel, please visit us at www.emmanuelmora.com. There you will find more free messages and links to ministry opportunities to help you grow in your faith. If you are watching on YouTube, please click the subscribe button to always receive the latest messages. Thanks again for listening. Emmanuel Baptist Church, Mora, Minnesota. Knowing Christ and making Him known.